All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Next Generation Saints. I'm your host, Nick Coons. So today I'm gathered with a family friend of mine, um, Patrick, Patrick Kosky McBride, or just Patrick McBride. Um, we're talking today about Christianity and atheism, where we stand on particular issues and basically to understand why we think the way we think. So I want to thank you, Patrick, for joining me on this. I really appreciate it. And uh, you want to talk about something about yourself before we get started? So yeah, I'm a <clears throat> multiple survivor. Um, I have a master's degree in biomedical science. I have a little bit of time in medical school before the cancer caught up to me. Um, and that's it for the most part. Oh, and I, I describe myself as an atheist as much as an agnostic with a slight atheist bent. Fair enough. Yeah. I would describe myself as a militant agnostic in the sense that I don't know. And I'm pretty sure you don't either, for sure. You may have to say otherwise, but that's just my view, is that anybody claiming to know anything absolutely, I'm going to get skeptical. And I think that's where we're going to get into this interview is going to be very interesting because um, your perspective. So <clears throat> I was going through, um, you and I have been talking about this on Facebook and we did messaging back and forth. And so I took the liberty of going through some of the things you were talking about here and kind of addressing as we went. So what I... I guess the first question I want to ask you, Patrick, and again, you can ask me anything anytime you'd like to, is if Christianity were true, would you be a Christian? Yes. So here's the thing, though. There's Because I've actually, uh, I've been to your, not your church, but the, the <clears throat> church hospital, which is yours is kind of an offshoot of that. There's this kind of a, a viewpoint in that group that people who aren't Christian must not know about Christianity, must believe that's not true. My report is that Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. You know, it hasn't really made the case to me. And there's not a whole lot that's going to really tip me in the scale and say, oh, yes, you know, or, oh, no. So when you say, like, if Christianity is true, I would say yes. But the issue here is that our definition, our, our bars for what is true and what isn't, or what's convincing and persuasive evidence are very different. Okay. So basically, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, basically it's the evidence that you're having issues with. It's just the evidence and also the representatives of Christianity to some extent. And his own history of Christianity to a large extent as well. It's, you know. So evidence and bad actors. Both, yeah. I understand. I can actually sympathize with that. I've come across many <clears throat> studying in apologetics, as I do say in Christian apologetics. I've come across many bad actors in the areas of Christianity. And so I totally, I sympathize with you on that. Um, do you, want, do you want to talk about the evidence? Do you want to talk more about the um, the actors of Christianity? We can address those. So um, I would say that for the evidence, uh, a lot of the time, a lot of Christians, you know, tend to assume that I'm, the only thing that's going to persuade me is scientific evidence. That's an important thing, but that's not like the biggest thing. If there's a big booming voice that came out of the sky and said, believe, you know, I would. Uh, the other thing is that most Christians tend to assume that there's a, there's an amount of belief that everybody's everybody has. It's universal across the board, and it's just that for some reason atheists or agnostics choose not to believe. When in reality, it's more like you know, if you meet somebody that you're attracted to, you know, you're attracted to that person, right? And it's just that person alone, perhaps. Instead of you know, it's that's the kind of thing. It's not that there's an equal amount of belief spread across. Some of us are just less inclined to believe for a variety of reasons. 
So Patrick, what do you believe in with the areas of agnosticism and what is the overwhelming evidence that supports your belief system? I'm not really sure that I would say that I have a belief system. So the other thing here is that when you talk about beliefs, I, I would say that I'm a person sort of of faith in the sense I believe that my neighbors are great people. I believe, you know, in an evidence-based approach to medicine science, I believe in what I can do and what I can't do. Um, when you talk about religion, that's the that's the harnessing that and kind of turning it into an actual system. And that I'm not sure that I would describe what I believe in as a system at all. It's just I feel what I feel, and I can't really defend or deny it. Or, and uh, I can understand that, like uh, not believing into a church-based system or believing into a religious-based system. I can, I can understand that. Yeah, if you're to tell me you believe in something, probably not. But I'm not totally sure. Not going to say never. Not going to say always. Would you? If you're asking, would you like to join this or that church? I would be dead set uh, against it. That's just a frightening experience to me. I've been many, many churches. No, I totally understand, and I can understand where people will be dead set in particular ways, and that's why I think it gets more tribal than anything else, and saying what church you belong to, what church you don't belong to, it just, to me, it's a migraine, I don't get involved in that stuff. So yeah. you said, so you're kind of agnostic, believing that there is something out there, um, but also borderline that there isn't. So I'm leaning slightly towards there isn't anything out there, but not totally sure. Again, I'm not going to say never. I'm not going to say always. You know, I'm getting new information, new facts every day as everybody else is. So. so what would it take in order for someone like yourself to believe in Christ or to believe that there is a higher power of some sort? So do you mean like Christ, the historical character or Christ, the, the version that appears in the Bible? Because I think that there is a fair amount of evidence to suggest that Christ was an historical person, but I'm not sure as far as the historical evidence saying that he was the savior of mankind. Okay. Um, <clears throat> what do you mean by that exactly? Because the historical documentation I've come across from like the Romans to the Egyptians to the Pharisees, Sadducees, Scribes, and Hadrian, all the way down to um, the Persians that were around that area. They all, I can understand where it came from saying, I'm not sure if he was Christ, but. Um, well, actually, I should say, explain that a little bit more to me. So, um, I've, I've, so I haven't, there's actually a, a couple of theologians, I can't remember their names, I heard about them a number of years ago, kind of went off in search of the X document, you know, that classic fable, you know, book of the Bible written by Jesus Christ, which was never discovered or something, right? And so they found is that as you go kind of further back and back in the historical documents, the murkier it gets, the more kind of clear it becomes that somebody has a point of view they're trying to sell. And the documents get a little bit less reliable as like historical documents, more just as like, you know, tabloid journalism type of things. Now, are they searching out for the Gnostic Gospels or are they lo looking for the actual uh, gospel accounts? This guy, this guy actually went back to try and find the very first, you know, Gospels internally the, the actual first bible as it were well that would be interesting because that would only take you into the second century maybe third ultimately yeah. but the original but, yeah. mm -hmm. go ahead so but all the historical sources we have from that time as far as i know they're not completely neutral or completely verifiable they're kind of like almost bigfoot sightings sort of you know it's like there's something moving over there you know i don't find it very compelling 
But what do you mean by like it's not because when I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, going into the book of Acts, which is the eyewitness testimony of what Jesus did, what he taught, how he lived his life, how he died in the resurrection and post-resurrection, um, I don't really come across anything that would be like what you're describing. I come across where they have over 500 people see him over a period of 40 days. And then the book of Acts, immediately afterwards, within a week, maybe at the most, you had the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin persecuting him. And in fact, this is where the guy named Saul comes into the picture where he has Thomas murdered in front of a whole bunch of people. And Christians are being hunted, or they weren't called Christians. That was actually coined, I believe, in the 5th century AD, where they were being persecuted, going from door to door to door. In fact, Saul was on a donkey. It was very, very strong. Uh, christian writing on it where he was going from damascus he was leaving heading his way up to damascus and he's interacting with jesus and that's what changed him from saul to paul but i don't see it's like when you say the very early manuscripts the very i think it was um philippians was the earliest book written only a month after the resurrection so uh as a cancer survivor who was involved in a clinical trial Mm -hmm. uh, part of my job just to survive was basically because you get bombarded with all kinds of weird <laughs> this worked for me smoking cigarettes cured my cancer all kinds of crazy things and you have to kind of go through and say okay who actually saw this was it documented who documented it did we have like a third party here to say yes that happened or no it didn't happen that way and half the time and just my own kind of personal things as far as just debunking or proving that dog deworm cures cancer doesn't cure it it's like usually it's on things where it originates, you kind of go back many, many times, and the originator of this thing is usually somebody who's a nutritionist who noted this or that and then patented that, you know, their formula to make money off of it. So it's not a neutral source in any of these cases. And I'm not, I've, I've noticed that throughout all kind of human recordings. So I'm not saying, I'm not putting the blame on Christian, I'm just saying that it comes down ultimately to he said, she said kind of thing with these, all these details. And well, I think you have a point, but I think it's misleaded because I think you got it incorrect on this. Because when you look over at the book of Luke right here, and it says, May, oh, and this is from the book of Luke chapter one, and it goes from uh, verse one to four. And this is Luke actually writing as a medical doctor, because he was an actual doctor from the Roman, um, Roman authorities. I mean, before we get to that, yeah. did Luke have a friend who was not involved in the writing of the Bible? who could say, yes, Luke is this guy, that guy, and he said this under these conditions. I had, when I looked up in my theology and studying of it, I looked into the Roman um, archives that they actually have that you can still find in um, Greece to this day and over to the Mediterranean Peninsula, where they actually have Luke written down. Now, it wasn't describing him as a Christ follower or anything, but it did confirm that he was actually a doctor, and it did say that. And Paul writes later on saying that, he is a medical doctor and that Luke was not an actual believer. He was simply a medical doctor from Rome who heard so many different things. He had to come take a look at what was happening. Kind of like if you were in a hospital and someone said, this person magically got healed from cancer and a bunch of doctors came in and said, okay, they don't have cancer. What happened? And so that's what Luke is partaking. in. in fact, when he writes in his introduction, he's writing to the main, to his main general who sent, or the governor, I should say, is what we call nowadays. And he says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from first they were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, once I myself have carefully investigated 
everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know that the certainty of things that have been taught. So he wasn't just believing in something random. He had to go in and he took an orderly account of everything that was going on. So while well, I'm here, I'm taking, seeing his- hmm? We're taking him at his word. When he says I investigated, does that mm -hmm. mean he actually, you know, we have to, again, we don't have any real records to say that, that, or I should say, I don't have any records that would convince me that I've seen yet that would say, yes, Luke was this or that kind of thing. And he did. So part of the thing is like, when you go through and you, the doctors come and they say, this guy was cured of cancer. His next question is, okay, what type of cancer? What, show me mm -hmm. the scans. If you go through and they're willing to share this. They aren't willing. They're not willing to do this because it's a HIPAA violation. But mm -hmm. nine times out of ten, if you look through and you start going through that, it's a misdiagnosis. It's an inaccurate recording. Somebody got the something wrong somewhere is the issue. Right, right. So the question then would be, logically, what is he investigating? And so the question I would ask you is, do you know what Luke was investigating? Uh, I would assume he's trying to investigate the, the claims of Christ, or at least the claims of Christ's followers. That's a small part of it. Now, if you look in the book, read in the book of Luke, he's actually looking at Mary, how she conceived um, oh. as a virgin, and then about Jesus Christ's life, teachings, death, and resurrection. In fact, he was the one who talked about the crucifixion. How is it? And one of the things he was talking about is how is it possible that a person who was killed and dead on a cross, how did he rise from the dead? Because even in the ancient world, that's not feasible. I mean, even this today we have like, you know, we have, you can, you know, wake people like that or do CPR, but back then they didn't do that. So like, how did a dead person rise? And the issue there is that if Paul, if Luke was operating and as a surgeon, he wouldn't have been operating using empirical science techniques because those weren't around really until the 18th century, maybe the 16th or 15th, the earliest. Right. That's so, you found this one thing, we're going to conduct this experiment to prove it or disprove it really. And he wouldn't have been approaching it from that perspective, I think. And that's, he's looking at it maybe from a journalistic perspective. And there's well, laws of- how would, how would you, how would you back in those days, let's put ourselves in the first century AD apart from Christ. How would you logically go about answering this type of question or doing empirical science research if it wasn't invented then? How, like, if we look outside of like the claims of resurrection about Christianity, and we're talking about like my medical science over in Rome or medical science in early England. How do we verify any of those type of things? Like, how would we go about that? So I'd go back and I'd want to actually meet Christ or his followers, somebody who actually met him, who could say, yes, I met him. I saw this or that and the other thing. And I want to see if they have, if that person has a bias towards or against it. And this is just from like a, a journalist investigation, which you can probably, there's flaws in this too. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, again, you get like dozens of people lie to you or will try you know, one or the other again to say that it's more impressive or less impressive. Uh, and then start looking for actual alternative explanations that would make just as much sense. I like how you stop that. Because that was actually one of the things that happened in the gospel accounts is they actually okay. were trying to find multiple reasons. Like, why? how could this have happened? The biggest one being is medically what happened, the resurrection. That was a big, one of the biggest issues. So... From your perspective, about what would you, I'm trying to keep on track here and whatnot, but uh, I guess my mind's just going on questions here. With the resurrection, how would you go about answering that? Well, so first of all, in science, uh, the way that it works is that you're not required to disprove. It's so in, um, 
you know, it's basically the person who's making the claim has to bring the evidence. In other words, if I want to claim that I cured a disease used drinking my own urine, the thing here is I don't have to go out and disprove everybody else. I have to go out and prove, make the case from my own stance. So in that case, you know, if a guy shows up saying that he was resurrected, he needs to bring the evidence with him. That's part of the thing. Um, if he doesn't, then, you know, it's great. Best of luck. I'm not going to take it too seriously. Patrick, would you say that eyewitness accounts about a particular issue would hold weight to them in the areas of reality and belief? They would have some weight, not a whole lot, um, because again, the human mind, we're not even, look up cognitive bias sometime. These no, I understand cognitive bias. I, I read the book, uh, um, Cold Case Christianity by former um, cold case detective, uh, Jay Warner Wallace, where he talks about exactly what you're describing. That's, but I'm, what I'm looking at is, Everyone has a bias. He calls it the presupposition. Everyone has yeah. a presupposition. You have one, I have one. It's being able to look through those presuppositions and going, what happened? And it, and it's all about like how a murder scene or a crime that has happened long ago took place. So without the scientific method, because quite honestly, we cannot judge Christianity, the resurrection of Jesus premised on scientific evidence, because scientific evidence is about observation repeat, and repeatability of the experiment correct? Like on Mythbusters, for example, they would hear about a myth, they would create an experiment in order to accomplish, to see what would, oh, what's up? Yeah, exactly. Pretty much it would take for Christ to have to appear before me, and I'd want to see him repeat the magic trick, you know? Exactly. With so with that in mind, as we know, history has no premise on a scientific notion, right? We don't know Genghis Khan because we can res bring him back to life and see him conquer the known world like that we can't go back and scientifically recreate the inauguration of of um, the first president of the united states we can't scientifically show the assassination of abraham lincoln in uh in the theater right we can't do those things so if we look at history we know that the first president of the united states is george washington not because science but because of eyewitness testimony we well, know that as hmm? well and because hmm? there are modern historical records Right, modern historical records. We also know, like, say, you believe, would you say that Julius Caesar existed as a governor of Rome? Uh, so probably, but I'm not an historian, so I couldn't say, like, absolutely, here's the, here's the logic for that, here's how we get to that. I can only speak again as somebody who knows a bit about science. Um, right, but would, uh, you say, would you say there is a plethora, we can't know for certain, but there is an overwhelming amount of evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that would say that Julius Caesar existed. He was a Roman, he was a governor of Rome who became ultimately Caesar, the, the imperial leader of Rome. Yes, but here's where I would draw the distinction between claims made that Caesar existed and claims made that Christ existed as written in the gospel, you know, the Bible, is that we don't have people today claiming to act in Caesar's name. We don't have people today saying, Caesar said this, so we should do that. You know, mm -hmm. it's not a far-reaching thing. We can talk about like what he did to the Gauls or how modern Europe looks the way it does because of his actions, but people aren't invoking Caesar's name anymore or any kinds of things, really. So, okay. So, where is that about Christ? So, because we now have in this country, virtually every politician is Christian, and we do ask, you know, for various uh, not proof, but you know, we do ask them about you know, your beliefs and so forth before we elect them. So it's fair to say that. Christianity or one's view of Christ is actually now directly impacting American politics. So okay. that to me 
little bit troubling to me that you can have yeah. people that can take things out of, you're right and i've seen lots of people that are politicians who will say that they're christian or say they're muslim or say they're hindu or buddhist or whatever they stand at let's say they're christianity right let's say that they say, claim they're christian and yet they do things or not i've seen bad actors who have always said things of that nature and it says a lot about those people but if i like this if we were to talk about bad actors that you're that we're kind of referring to i hope that's where we're at right now well, yeah, then, that's at this point like the history of christianity the bad actors are kind of hard to distinguish between one another in terms of records without being able to go back and actually poke at christ and review his claims personally well okay so here's a question I, that i want to throw at you i have a friend who has a friend right i have a pastor cliff connectly who has a friend who's an atheist who said all I needed to know about Islam, because they were talking about Muslim Islam, is September 11th, 2001. That is it. That's all you need to know about them. That there's no other way you need to know anything about. I don't need to read the Quran, the Shadith, Sharia, or any of those things. What would you say to that type of like, mindset? Uh, well, I would say that, you know, if you're going to do that, that's fine. I hope you don't meet any Muslims. Uh, I hope you're never in a position where you need Muslims' help. But um you're correct you know, there's a lot my ignorance may be a problem here but at the same time again it's that thing where it's like you kind of feel you probably felt inclined to believe things your whole life right mm. well not really not a whole, well, at least for me personally I, I i can't speak for everyone else but the main point i'm driving here is this is let's say that person says 9-11 would that not be a closed-minded arrogant statement to say about a faith is all you need to know is bad actors who have acted Ill, irresponsibly, murdered millions, uh, thousands of people, and that's it. I mean, for me personally, that would be like an extremely arrogant statement because I wouldn't know if that is really what Muhammad taught. What if he never taught those things? We have a record of the Quran, the Hadith, and Sharia to go over what he actually taught. Shouldn't we be intellectually honest and consistent enough to look at the source documents to find out that's true? Similarly with Christianity, if you have bad actors, like bad politicians, as you brought up, and I agree with you on this, but do we really want to intellectually base our worldview of Christianity based on bad actors, or should we be intellectually honest and consistent enough to investigate the eyewitness accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and going through them and seeing what Jesus did what he taught how he lived his life the death and resurrection and see if it is consistent with what these people are doing if it is dismiss him if it's not then it tells you everything you need to know about that politician or that person or those activists but it tells you nothing about what that person in history who they claim to be representing actually taught that's my experience of what i've gone through of seeing so i say this for islam i say for buddhism i say for hinduism all all the above you see where i'm coming from yeah but for as a as a militant agnostic for me the trouble with the 9-11 the you know various muslim groups response to it was saying he's not really muslim just like you're going to do with the bad actors the problem yeah. is that, well then i'm going to take your faith that you're the real muslim like this is the, the gif of spider-man pointing each other at this cops drive like which one's the real guy here you know well that's why i'm talking about patrick is because as a militant atheist i would think it'd be intellectually dishonest in order to say well what are you going to do claim you're the real one i'm not making a claim of that i don't think i think i can't speak for everyone else because there are people who make that claim that you're saying but to no, look to say okay yeah if you say, say that bad 
is our representative. That's to me, that's just not convincing or persuasive to say, well, that that's one bad apple that just spoiled the, you know. Well, it is a bad apple. That's the whole thing. It is a bad character, but that should not deter one's ability to look into these things and really read who these people were, what they taught, how they lived their life, when Christ and what the great Christ is, how he died and rose from the dead. So when we say, well, there's bad actors, there's bad characters, of course there are. There are bad there are atheists who go into buildings and there there was um the Holocaust was one of them, was done by atheist Nazis who decided to massacre people who cares. You had Joseph Stalin, who was a very strong atheist, who came out on his records. His daughter had records on the city who was atheist. You had Pope Powell, a very strong atheist, who murdered millions of Chinese. You have Kim Jong-un and his father, who are devout atheists. The spies have found out he's murdering millions. So you have bad actors who are also atheists. Do I believe that atheism teaches that? Or do I go, these are bad people who claim to be an atheist, and they might be, but that doesn't mean that that's necessarily what atheism is. I better be consistent intellectually and reason like talking with you and finding out what do atheists actually believe? Are they being consistent or are they abusing this worldview? So I would say that in that case, I'm not going to say, no, he's not the real atheist. That's, you know, they real probably were and could be. Did atheism motivate them? Just like what you're getting to, Christianity motivate these guys to do evil things? That's a bigger, harder to answer question. Because like Christianity can be used to, to legitimize all kinds of terrible atrocities and behaviors, you know, I'm sure that atheism has been used to invoke political purges for the most part. If you want to look at, but you know, real, so I don't think those murder, those atrocities were committed in the atheism. I think that uh, that was just convenient scapegoat for them. Just as you're probably gonna with Christianity. And I guess well, what I'm hearing is when and correct me if I'm wrong again here, is they're probably bad actors, but we don't know. But Patrick, have let me ask you this. Have you actually read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? I've read some of them. I've read uh, Luke's uh, Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. Uh, have you read Matthew, Mark? Sorry, go for it. No, 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 go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Well, but to your point as well, as like when I see the problems in modern Christianity, as you talk about, you know, Christ being a great figure, figure talking about feeding the poor, bringing medicine to those who don't have it, housing the homeless, all these kinds of wonderful things I think that most people in the 21st century could get behind. And then you kind of contrast that with the actions of Joel Olstein or other televangelists. And it doesn't really, and again, I'm not going to attack that, but I'm saying that like Christianity has to kind of figure out what's important to Christianity and what isn't then kind of focus on the important stuff yes patrick what i'm seeing here is you're creating almost like a sand like a like a kind of sand wall in essence i can't believe because i'm really what i'm really hearing at this and again i'm always going to say correct me if i'm wrong is i can't believe because of these bad actors you know they I i don't think i would be inclined to believe anyway i just so look up the god genes sometime if you want oh, yeah. to anger, yeah, if you want to anger atheists and theists alike to suggest that maybe their beliefs are perhaps biologically influenced, you know, that'll drive everybody nuts. Well, let's look at this. If we're looking over towards gene, a genus pool and whatnot, if we're talking about the front thing that pops in my mind is ordering design. When you talk about like DNA and genes, right? Programming of a human cell to make it do certain thing, make the body do a certain thing. It's like when you're, when you're conceived and the sperm meets the egg and you become a human being, your programming has started. Your genus pool has begun. 
And so what I'm looking at then is order and design, right? Well, you're, you're assuming there, you're, that there's what's called learned, um, I can't remember the term for it. Basically, the reason why we would assume that a watch is a designer is because we know we've experienced watches elsewhere. We don't have any other baseline for life anywhere else. So we're well, then I would, I would, oh, go ahead, go ahead. We're assuming an awful lot. Yes, it is complex, but we also know from, you know, running AI models and things that if you run a system long enough, complexity will emerge even out of chaos. And if you want to say that's God behind it all, that's interesting. Well, wouldn't you say that? I mean, if life is a, com a complexity inside of existence, such as like order and design, where we see how in physics, how the you know, whole universe, I was studying Albert Einstein, what he was doing at Barrier Relativity, which was confirmed by Arnold Benzius. And in the 1930s, discovering that the Big Bang actually took place and the discovering about uh, the genus pool, about uh, controlled evolution um, and all that. I look and go, to me, what I'm seeing is immense amounts of order and design. But whenever I've come across this, I've never come across order and design that point to nothing. I've always come across order and design like, a, like we're talking on computers right now, right? I'm talking yeah. on a MacBook. I'm not sure what you're talking on as well. But my MacBook was designed by Apple programmers and by machinists who put it all together, right? It had to have an intelligent mind to create the iOS operational system to make this amazing computer and these AirPods connect and work together. I go out to my Ford Escape, I turn it on, and though I'm going to need a new car coming up, it's amazing to me about the engineers who built the engine, the combustion engine, and put in order and design into that vehicle to make it work. In essence, I've never once come across order and design not pointing to some sort of designer. So if I see something like that, like what I just described, and I look into the universe of the human body, which is far more complexly designed, I don't know well, how someone could, go ahead. So I was gonna say that basically because we have we have records, we know how cars are built. So that's the logical you know, assumption based on that one. We don't know enough about how, you know, universe, there's actually a interesting phenomenon where the human brain sees patterns where there are none. So you wanna be very, very careful with that. And these patterns where there is none? Yeah, oh yeah, there's things like, the, I can't remember the experiment, they've done experiments where they have people listen to static white noise and they'll report hearing, you know, voices. Even then the researchers took about to recalibrate it, so the only thing you could possibly hear would be static in around through computer models to prove this. And then the participants still said, there's voices there, right? So we have minds that are trained automatically. We're inclined to see order there isn't any by design, perhaps. I know it's an odd thing to say, but even no, it's not an odd thing to say. It's it's assuming that there is no order in design based upon the sign of one experiment towards it. But I've never encountered anything that has not shown that order design doesn't point to a designer. If it's just like, well, I thought I heard something. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I got jets flying over. Sorry about that. Uh, live nearby an Air Force base. <laughs> but when I've seen it where they said, well, how put it? I guess I don't fathom understand why in atheism it says that it only, like Richard Dawkins said before, it appears to have order and design, order design point to a designer, but it's not really designed. Well, that's, that doesn't make any sense to me. And the reason is, if, if you go, if we go into an Apple store, pretty sure you've been in one, I've been in one, obviously. And you walk into there and look at all the technology that's out there, that's, that's copywritten by Apple, the computers, the phones, you know, the wristwatches. And then you go, there is no designer to all this. It just looks designed. 
I'm sorry. I think that your elevator hasn't gone to the top. I think you're in denial and you don't want to accept that there's Apple software programmers, designers, and whatnot. You're living in a fantasy world. You're living in, um, in arrogance towards it. So that's why when I... Hmm? As I say that basically there's an, there's, that's another thing too, is that uh, Christians that I've encountered who are trying to con, you know, work their side of the story tend to assume that there's a denial or hatred of God on agnostics or atheists we have said it's like that's like the the counterpoint the atheist counterpoint is why do you hate the tooth fairy or why do you deny the existence of the tooth fairy you know oh that's easy uh, well no and i and i totally get you actually before before we did this interview um today uh a couple of days ago all the way up to today a little while before we started talking i was actually listening to um oh my goodness what is it called i gotta pull it up here because it was so freaking good um, I was listening to The Four Horsemen uh, with Richard Dawkins, Christopher, late Christopher Hitchens. Have you ever heard of that one? No, I haven't. I am not wild about those guys, I'll tell you that. But Well, I mean, I wasn't thinking, I, I was more like trying to, because they're, they're the most noted atheists. I would also counter them as anti-theists because yeah. um, of proficiency towards it. I listened to a lot of them, and yes, I... Um, your point was, and I want to make sure I got this right. Um, can you reiterate it one more time for me? About Dawkins or about order or which one? We've been through a few points. Right before then, right before then. So the human beings, we tend to, we, our minds like to see order where there isn't any. We, you know, in other words, and you're right. If you walk into an Apple store, uh, there's a lot of, you know, you can say that there's a lot of order there because it's by the design. As a cellular biologist, if you look at the gene code, it's it's kind of it passes a sniff test, but once you kind of actually look into it, it's really badly and poorly you know cobbled together. Um, sunlight will damage DNA, oxygen will damage DNA. This is not the good. This is not a, a an ideal order system. You know, it should be that should be impervious. And as a cancer survivor, when you accumulate enough of these little errors, you get cancer. And the reason I can go into this if you want in detail, but basically the reason why I get cancer is because the genes that cause our cells to grow and divide and do what they should do get permanently turned on and they'll get turned off. The cells, there's another gene set that comes in. The system. So yeah, those genes activate that grow and divide, right? They get activated when you're an embryo and some of them die off very quickly. Some of them keep going until they're well into adulthood, but eventually another set of genes gets turned on that then deactivates those genes. So that's a very, very poor roundabout design construction. You know, if you have one error in there, you have- Yeah, no, and I, I hear you on that. I think um, I'm just gonna touch on this really fast and I have um, go through some of the questions, if you don't mind me doing this, uh, that you posted on that I didn't answer quite yet for you on Messenger that you can talk about right now. Um, I would say ultimately the reason that those things have happened is because uh, the Bible talks about in um, right after Genesis 3, the fall of mankind, that all sorts of death and sin and destruction was entered into the world through that action. I know that's pretty bland when it comes down to because, you know, if you don't believe that stuff, that's fine. But that's where God goes into explanation of it. Now, here's what I wanted to discuss with you on this. I'm going to put down on, on to here. Um, if, do you have a Bible or something on you or your phone that you can pull these, verses, these things up and maybe you can read them um, while I go, go through them? I can, yeah, hang on, I'm going to have to change rooms, but yeah, I can get this. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So, 
So, and if you want to use the Bible to prove the Bible, that's no, know, I understand. I know that's why I said it was kind of a the doctrine religion is true because it's written on napkin. All right. No, I understand that. I understand that. That's why I said it was kind of like a. I know you wouldn't accept that one, so that's why I was kind of like a kind of a tossy one. So here's what I want to look at. What you were talking about on the messenger, and this is I actually titled it "Answers to Patrick." You were talking about slavery, right? We're going to jump onto that really fast here about in the Bible. And your question was pertaining to does the Bible condemn slavery? And the answer is ultimately yes, it does, fully and completely. But that's the simple answer. It goes a little more complexly, okay? What okay. you want to look at is Paul addresses this directly in the book of Philemon, chapter 1, verse 15 through 16. Philemon? Yeah, Philemon. Oh, Philemon, okay. Yeah, P-H-I-L-E-M-O-N. Philemon. Was that chapter which? It was chapter one, verse 15 through 16. I just kind of shortened it down to the to that little verse area, but you can read the entire thing where Paul is describing. Um, could you read that one out loud really fast? Okay, number second. Okay. So, perhaps the reason you separated from me for a little while was because you might have, have him back forever. No longer a slave, but better than a slave, a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother of the Lord. So I get that that could be used to, you know. So here it is. Slavery, what you're talking about. Now, if someone is a brother in the Lord, what is he referring to on this? Well, we find out actually really fast here. Let me pull this up here. Um, let me pull this up. Okay, so we look over at Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. If you want to look at that one. I'll read, out, I'll read it for you so you can take a look. It is widely condemned biblical. Um, let's see here. Um, let me pull it up here because. Um, Galatians chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 3. Uh, sorry, chapter 3, verse 28. It says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And Paul is talking to the Galatians because they have this issue, very much like we have nowadays. You hear a lot from, say, social justice warriors or the political system of today, which is there's inequality. People are treated differently based on their skin color, where they come from, who they are. The same thing was happening exactly in um, the church of Gala uh, Galatians. So Paul directly talks about that. So when, when he talks about how we are all equal in Christ, that means that you're not more better than I am. I'm not more better than you. We're all on equal grounds here. So when we're right. talking about slavery in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 through 16, Paul is quite clearly saying, I'm going to send your runaway slave back to you, but don't treat him as a slave. Treat him as a fellow brother in Christ, that he is equal to you in all senses. And so right there in that area, the Bible is automatically condemning the acts of slavery. Now, as a human being, though, saying I'm going to send him back to you as a slave, but he shouldn't be a slave. That's like, you know, here, here's your sheep back, wolves. Have him. Enjoy him. Why would you, why wouldn't you say, you know, this guy needs some help. Let's get him out of here. Or, you know, just hide him or something. 
resolve that situation yourself rather than setting it back. I think it's based on the situation itself because when I when you're reading in the book of Philemon, Philemon himself is, even though it's a slave owner, is really turning into Christ's follower. And so Paul is addressing that issue directly in the transformation Philemon is having when it comes down to this particular issue. If it was addressing somebody who was like you're describing, a sheep, oh, I mean, sorry, a wolf who just wants to rip sheep uh, shreds apart, then you're absolutely right. But Paul is not addressing that particular situation. So that's kind of where it falls. So that's why Paul says, accept him back as a fellow brother in Christ, because Philemon had gone onto that and was actually transforming where it was safe enough for this runaway slave, the person who was this, to return, and not as a slave, but as a equal to the master. Um, the other one was talking about wife beating, which you were talking about, and I appreciated that one. What we see here is in um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. Okay. So what does it state on that thing? Um, so ought, yeah. There we go. So ought men to love their wives their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And be and willing yes. to sacrifice himself for her as Christ sacrificed himself for the church. Right inside there, would you, the whole system is, when you're talking about beating your wives, the Bible condemns it because men, you're supposed to protect your wife. You're supposed to love her like Christ loved the church, be willing to die for her. This automatically condemns the notion of wife beating. You're not supposed to. If you're supposed to love your body, your wife as much as your own body, you're not going to subjugate yourself to, to torture yourself. A rational person would never do that. So the Bible is condemning it in, in this way of saying, love your wives as Christ loved the church and be willing to die for her in the same sense. So, so as a writer, if you don't bury the lead like that, you know, you, you're writing a screenwriter. Like, it's like, what if, imagine, you know, we know from, uh, what's his name? Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's career that, you know, this sort of, this sort of thing you have to get totally invested and watch the whole thing at the complete context for the last five minutes punchline. Not really a great storytelling method, perhaps. But Patrick, my question is, where did you come up with the idea or where did you read the idea that the Bible is so promoting of wife beating? Uh, so have you heard of, you've heard of the transformed wife, right? I don't believe I have. Look up Lori Alexander. Okay, who is she? Really fast. She is a, she's a, a, I think that I would describe her as a bad faith actor, but I'm not sure. She's, she's branded herself as a tradition, Christian traditionalist who's promoting the biblical, biblical living amongst women, but she promotes some really horrifying views like beating your children. She actually tells you how to beat them, like don't beat them with stuff that's too hard because CPS will come and get you. So Patrick, is it a wise idea to premise the biblical idea of a bad character who's probably yeah. abusing what the Bible actually says? So, and then again, so- I then, mean, really, really Patrick, let's go with this. Is it a good idea to premise of your idea, this question that you posed to me, off of a bad character who clearly abuses what the Bible teaches. Is it a good well, idea? So, but the fact that she's still like, loads of Christians haven't said, let's stop and say, Regardless. 
know, regardless of that, is it a good, regardless of how many followers you have, I'm sorry, but regardless of that, I don't care if you're Joel Olstein with a million followers, if you're teaching bad doctrine, coming off a bad actor who's doing things in bad faith, is it a good idea to premise a question and say, well, the Bible teaches this off of that bad character, or is that kind of more intellectually dishonest to do so and go, this person's clearly teaching things that are not biblical, and then, well, other people are following it. Yeah, but here's, here, it's like this, Patrick, should I premise my worldview on how the earth is spherical based upon the um, bad acting of people who are flat earthers? Or should I be able to go, what does the science show us? What is the evidence the eyewitnesses who've been up in space and seen sever spherical, the webcams I can see, whatnot. But they have, they're getting a large following of people. You see where I'm coming from. So that's why I was so like- we're back to my original thing, which is like, you're saying she's not a real Christian. She's going to turn around and say, you're not No, what I'm saying Christian. is, what I'm saying is the Bible doesn't support it. I'm not stating that. I'm saying based on what you have read in the Bible right there, and you can read it in context all you want. That's fine. It's clear she's not acting according to what the scriptures actually teach, which the Bible would say makes her not Christian at all. Not my well, opinion. She goes through. She can go through and she biblically justifies every single one of these actions with verse and chapter. So yeah. it, the thing is much like you can cherry pick and support any kind of stance that you want. Right, and, you can. And that would be considered intellectually dishonest that the person would do so. Just like if I were to cherry pick, if I were to cherry pick out scientific facts to lay right. down the foundation for a flat earth argument, would that be would that would would that be scientifically intellectually consistent of me or intellectually honest of me to do so? No, but there's, so with, so, okay. The thing is with science, with the past year with COVID, we're getting to look at how science works. Where you get this, everybody's going nuts about the masks this week, this quarantine, this thing. You get information, you change things a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, but so you hear where I'm coming from. Right. So, yeah, what I'm saying is that if Laura, if she's a bad actor, she is. I'm not saying that, you know, she isn't, but I'm saying that if she can find these sorts of verses to cherry pick and, you know, support her views, which are despicable, why aren't more people standing up and saying, you know, she doesn't represent us, or, you know, here's how you counteract these arguments. And if you're doing that, great, like, good for you. I, I think that. because people just like in the scientific atheistic community do not, and I, I say this loose, I say it strongly, but also loosely, because I know you're not one of those people. And I'm not, we're both excluded from this, but there are lots of people who are easily manipulated into believing something when they're arrogant or ignorant of what's going on. So if they're ignorant and they don't take time to read the Bible, just like they don't take time to study scientific studies, they can be easily manipulated. You know, the, it's kind of interesting because in the book of Matthew, Satan comes up to, to Jesus and is, and regardless if you believe this or not, but he starts testing Jesus by using scripture, but it is manipulated and twisted. It's kind of like um, if I were to read out a book, like your mom got me into Harry Potter. Now, Gail got me into Harry Potter. I thought it was great. But when you're reading all throughout the books, let's say you twist it so Harry looks like he's Voldemort and Voldemort looks like he's on the side of Harry, right? And you break all these little things out of the books. But you could do anything. Yeah. Right. But there's consistent, you would know, we both know there's a thing called literary context, right? Yeah. What is the author trying to communicate in the context of what they're writing? So what I look at is you can cherry pick all you want. That's fine. Science, you can cherry pick Harry Potter to the Bible. But ultimately, the writers who put their information, whether it be science, uh, fiction, fictitious writing, 
or our historical document, they have a narrative that they're trying to communicate to you. And that's what I mean by there are bad actors out there who will manipulate it. So I think for you and I, we're both intellectuals enough to know that's obviously clear that this woman is probably is obviously cherry picking things. But when you read it in context, you realize she is cherry picking. She's a bad actress. She's not acting as a Christian. And I'm not saying that, oh, I, well, I'm the Christian. Look at me. What I am saying is just like a flat earther who cherry picks out scientific research in order to really, I mean, butchers the research in order yeah. to verify their own wanting of a flat earth. You would also look at that and say, you're not intellectually honest. You're cherry picking out science. And it does, if you read the science in context, it does not add up to a flat earth. And they go, well, that's your perspective. My perspective, it does. And you're, going, you're like shaking your head going, what? No, that's wrong. You're totally false. You see where I'm coming from. So that's why I was saying, where did you get this information from? And were you looking into the actual scriptures of what they say to verify or to um, dismiss what they're teaching? So um, let's see here. Now we're talking, one of the things that we brought up here was about, you were saying something about truth earlier, right? Like how would you absolutely know something, right? Well, so that's the that's a classic uh, philosophical issue that I think that we can go round and round because it's a philosophical question. Nobody's going to be able to prove it. So, and this gets to really the core root, I think, of misunderstandings between believers and unbelievers, which is that I go, I see the sky, I know it's blue. You go, you see the sky, you know it's blue. But is that actually would what you see be what I think of as blue, or would you see would you comprehend it as a color that I would say is red? And right, right. A lot of these faith-based issues we're going to run around in circles because we don't see the same color and the same issue right no no and i totally agree with you in fact that was one of the biggest arguments in christian apologetics with dr frank turk when he talked about that to another atheist at one of his conventions and i'd, I'd never get into those conversations because as you say it just because it does this it doesn't get you anywhere it just gives you something to do and someone can get frustrated and yell and scream what i was looking at is there are that we're talking i was talking more about mathematical side so when we're looking at truth, there are things in this world, and I only break it down as simply as this. There is subjective evidence, like subjective things like, if I go to, let's throw him under your bus, Brandon Straub's house, his mother hates the word fart. I, my mother-in-law hates that word, fart. You fart one and you joke and crack a lot, she gets offended by that word. I go to your guys' house and I see your mother, who's a wonderful woman, I see Nathan, I say fart, no one cares, right? Subjectively, it's not okay. But let's say if I went into a mathematical area and said two plus two equals four. There's no way that I can say that that's incorrect. It is not objective truth. It's like right. if I were to say, um, does gravity exist? Well, yep. There's no way that I can subjectively say, well, you know, I, in your, my opinion, gravity turns off every time I try to pick up my chapstick and chuck it in the air. And then in your opinion, when you pick up a chapstick, it becomes 50 pounds and you can't even lift it because gravity changes. Gravity is an objective system. Math is an objective system of measurement and objectiveness to reality. So when I, would, it, when I yeah, you know, well, I kind of warn you against using objective uh, proofs to prove your faith. Um, well, I can't give you an objective. I think it would have to be, the question would be what objective I wouldn't say proof. I really don't like to use the word proof because okay. proof is not necessarily 100% possible. I like what Jay Warner Wallace points out in Christ Christianity along with, and I'll send you these books too on text or whatnot. If you ever read, um, oh my gosh, 
um, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He was a former atheist working at the Chicago Tribune. They never looked for proof. Instead, they said that it was a complete ideological issue. You can't look for proof. What you look for is like the court of law, which is evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. And that's what I go for. So I'm not going to try to prove Jesus Christ rose from the dead. I can't. I can't pull Jesus out of the ground and say, Patrick, here he is, right here, buddy. He came out of the ground. I can't do that. What I do is I look for evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that the resurrection takes place. And that's where I think it is where when we're having a conversation about it is, did the resurrection, because the biggest one for me is like when an atheist or agnostic says, well, like, um, I, I'll throw this question on myself and I can answer it. Maybe you can dive into it a little bit more. I've been asked the same question you have. If Christianity weren't true, would I not be a Christian? I said, no, I wouldn't be a Christian if Christianity weren't true. And then um, the only question that was raised to me, and this was done by a manager of mine who was an atheist, he said, what would make you stop leaving Christianity? And I think it's something that you and I can both look at is, I said, if Christ hasn't risen from the dead, the resurrection never happened. My faith is in vain. I'm not a Christian anymore. So what evidence would you need to have to believe in the resurrection of Jesus? I think that one's gone because unless he comes back and performs that miracle again, I think I'm not sold on that concept. What if, here's my thought process because I thought you'd say that. What if I, to, what if I hypothetically throwing this out here? You would never believe even if he showed up and showed it to you. I don't believe you would. The reason know. being is there are people who saw it. The Pharisees had to describe, so lots of people saw it and still never believed. They found out weeds around it. He was demonically possessed. He was a magician. The Romans thought he was a crazy guy who did crazy magic tricks. That's literally what um, Caesar Augustus was talking about and Ty- Tyrafius was talking about. He was one, in, one of the governors in the Mediterranean area who heard about it, said, oh, he was a magician of sorts. He puffed, you know, he saw him in Egypt before because the Roman Empire extended down into there. And they saw people do magic tricks that look like miracles. So right. what would be the requirements for you to believe in a resurrected of Jesus with that in mind? Again, it's like I have a, so the, the burden of proof in science is very, very high. You have to get it reviewed by multiple people. And if it's wrong, you detract or you have to change it some way. And that's what we saw with COVID this past year is people finding flaws or errors and they have to go back and retest them and redo them. Revise and it's a high standard. I would want to go through and actually see this. I'd like James, kind of James Randi approach of you know, here you, I've seen the performer, you've seen you perform this miracle. Let's do it again under these conditions where you take you out of this box. You have to do this, we're going to steal you to, we're going to, you know, chop off your head under these conditions, kind of thing. I would need to have a, a pretty solid standard of proof from that one. So, Patrick, can I ask you this really fast then? Do you hold the standard of proof for all avenues of your life? outside of science most of them but it's again never say never never say always i'm i try to avoid generalizations there are no, some things just, gonna... like this could um, you can do you use this measurement to determine whether you're like let's say your brother or mother or whomever in your life cares for you like loves you i yeah so i kind of do i sometimes struggle with that whole do they really do they not and as far as your your concept of faith and proof kind of thing if i can't like you know, a great feeling where it's like God spoke to me kind of thing as soon as I walked into church. I, yeah, I would do that. That's not, the, that's not the question I'm asking. Here, is when you said, I struggle with that, how do you confirm that to yourself? How do you finally come, okay, my mother isn't going to try to poison me. 
and my brother isn't joining the gun trying to how do you how do you move past that because obviously you can't conduct it in a scientific experiment how do you how do you um confirm it to yourself that your family isn't going to try to harm you so first of all i need to ask myself you know if asking that question and then getting out proof is going to be beneficial to me at all is it going to bring me some peace of mind or is it going to you know create new avenues or is it just going to piss everybody off because i went around accusing people of poisoning me for a week and if that's the case then then the, then my curiosity really is not worth it right to destroy those relationships well if, if they're going to walk around trying to poisoning you i don't think you want to be in a random relationship where someone's seeking out to no, go ahead yes, and poison so your body so I think that would be a rational thing to do is to go around and, and it would almost be a sense of paranoia, but I can understand that the system of, I don't know if my mother is trying to poison me or my brother, but I think it would be a wise idea. The point I'm bringing up here is I don't, you can't use scientific rationale to determine if your mother or brother are going to poison you in your sleep. I believe that you have to determine whether your mother or brother don't want to poison you premised off of your relationship with them. Right. All right. Well, so, so I was gonna say, that doesn't if that doesn't impact perhaps my existence outside of the house. So I'm not gonna. That's a that's an issue I should say between me and my family. Me going next door to talk to my neighbors and saying, "Hey, mom's gonna be poisoning me." That's kind of you know that's maybe not kosher. And well, that's kind of right. So I guess your thing, your if your relationship with Christ is with Christ, that's fantastic. Great, I love it. But that's a very personal, private thing. And, you know. I... So, Patrick, how do you, outside of Christianity, how do you analyze a historical document that you cannot scientifically analyze? So I try to look at from history today. I know this. You want to look at who wrote it, when they wrote it, if there's any corroborating sources. And if there are any other corroborating sources, that's a start. But that's not all. You want to look at also, like, could anybody have any, you know, investments in um what is it in, in forging this thing? Have you seen the Netflix series Murder Amongst the Mormons? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 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 A great example of how, you know, you can forge these documents and make them look inaccurate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, kind of, it's, it's not. So, the thing is, it's kind of a similar system that there, I use with scientific evidence. Uh, and here, and, and to get back to you, yes, there is. I do have some faith, as I said. Uh, well, that's not the question. The question is, how do you analyze historical evidence? And you were on to it where you're talking about how you analyze yeah. historical evidence. So yeah. how would what you determine? What's the thesis or what's the support? What's the support for this uh, document historically? What's the context for it? Does it, in mm -hmm. other words, if you, so um, one interesting thing is that, you know, at the time that Moses was claimed to have come out of the Red Sea, the Egyptians didn't have Hebrew slaves yet. That came like a few hundred years after that claim. So, really? you know, that's, that's something you want to kind of go through and figure out, well, is this an error in the accounting? Is this a lie? Is this, you know, that kind of thing? Like right away, there's some issues that I take, like I try to track down and figure out what's going on here. Because if it's an error in the translation, that's, you know, one thing. If it's a lie, that's another thing. And so the thing is, are there contradictions within other established records? Are there corroborating established records? Does anybody benefit from this narrative now or at the time it was written? Um, so you're saying, so what I'm seeing is about the Egyptian slaves, you said they weren't there till afterwards, but we do have historical records um, from when Moses was actually in Egypt in 1571 BC, and that he lived inside of there and returning 
later on, he, there is actual at that time period in 1571 BC where they actually have records of slaves in there. They're mentioned that they had uh, Jewish slaves. Um, and then when he returned to Egypt, it was in four, approximately 1440 BC. And now when you're talking about internal inconsistencies, what are you talking about inside of the Bible? Let's start with the big one, right? God Go creates God creates heaven and the angels, right? Mm -hmm. He then Lucifer, he then creates, uh, or I should say, then Lucifer battles against God, right? Mm. Maybe I'm getting the chronology wrong. I think, well, keep going. I'll, I'll see what's going on. Keep going. Well, he so basically he creates he is the the you know, Lucifer bells gets cast down to the pit whatever. Then God creates man and man is the first being apart from God with free will, correct? No. Okay. You need you're gonna need to we need to reread um, Genesis and Revelations. God creates the heavens and the earth and all things that are inside of the earth. He then creates uh, the Garden of Eden. Now it's not really specified exactly when Satan is casted down in the book of revelation it does talk about how satan is cast to the pit of fire but that's on judgment day that hasn't even happened in fact the bible clearly teaches that he roams around you need to read the book of job the book of job is where god talks directly to huh i've actually read the book of job so where is satan right so when was in the book of job where was satan the entire where was satan coming from when god asked him where are you coming from satan so you're kind of nitpicking, but my point here is that how well, I'm nitpicking it because it's little pieces here and there in the scriptures that are giving you a description of what's happening in the heavenly planes. So it's kind of like if I were to watch a movie television series and the first part of the series talks a little bit of what happened, but then you don't hear anything for a while because you're looking at a different location. Then it kind of touches that. It's kind of like um, Lost, right? The TV show Lost will talk about, okay, there's a Dharma initiative. You hear about a Dharma initiative, that there were some scientists going there, but you don't really know what's going on. And they'll kind of go on about how these people have relationships, what they're trying to learn, the different things that seem kind of strange, right? The supernatural things they can't really explain. Then it gives you a, another snippet later on in the series about what this Dharma, who these Dharma scientists are and what's going on inside. And then it goes back to them and what they're kind of going on, these experiments, what are these cages, what's going on here, what's going on. And then it gives you another little piece of the Dharma initiative. Oh, they had a submarine on top of them. And they were really studying this phenomenon taking place. So it's not cherry picking anything. What I'm doing is saying, here's a small piece of what God is pointing out about heaven and hell. Here's another piece of what's happening in the heavenly planes, but it's going into those snippet pieces. You see what I'm talking about? Right. So that's why I'm saying, God creates the heavens and the earth. We're not sure where Satan shows up. The book of Job that you point out, where was Satan roaming around? Was he in a fiery pit of hell? Well, so by my point is, if if how could Lucifer rebel if he was not specifically given free will? They were all given free will. Okay, all right. Well, so but there's so as far as what I'm going through, I'm looking yeah. for historical inconsistencies when I'm trying to verify things. I'm looking for who has something to benefit. Uh, you know that famous uh, story about Darwin's deathbed conversion? Um, not necessarily. I was more focusing on his um, letters to Mr. Graham in his um, the theory of evolution that he was bringing up. But I didn't hear about his deathbed conversion so much. It was an urban rumor in the 19th century, basically. There's some uh, distant friend of the family who claimed that Darwin 
recounted, you know, his teachings on stuff. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Now I remember when I was back working at Disney, I've heard someone do that and they tried to use that as an argument against uh, evolution. They said, Gee, he, he returned and whatnot. And I thought it was the most ridiculous argument against atheism I've ever heard. And I was just like, dude, just shut up. <laughs> so <laughs> that doesn't do anything. She, she obviously had something to gain by telling that lie. You know, that's well, yeah, the thing. Who's yeah. going to gain from this? Who's going who's gonna to benefit from that narrative, from, you know, interpreting? So another thing here is that I would say, if you want to present the Bible as a series of facts, that's fine. You know, I wouldn't agree with that. But, you know, that's one way to look at it. But then the issue is, like in science, what's the context? How do we interpret these facts? And, you know, to that extent, I so what that, other contradictions are we looking at within the scriptures that you're talking about? Because we know the angels have free will. We know mankind has free will. Okay, hang on. No worries. So if you want to look into the uh, look into the Scopes monkey trial, because they actually get a, a Bible expert on the stand to talk about these various inconsistencies, and he just breaks. It's one of those things where it's a really weird, unique historical moment. Um, so, hang on. Have you looked into these inconsistencies yourself? I, so, I, it doesn't really interest me that much in terms of like, because like you, I have all sorts of other constraints in our time that don't make it really feasible to just go out and you know, do this. I actually, I'm writing for somebody else right now. So, right, I have right. All this but when it comes down to concerns like this, where we have engaging these conversations, or you hold a world view based on something like we all hold world views, wouldn't it be more, would it be more rational to look into what these objections are? and then verify or dismiss them. Like if someone says that the earth is flat and then you look in and you say, well, they say the earth is flat, whatever. Or would you look into it and say, there is no logical conclusion to this. So if you're gonna so, hold a worldview, shouldn't it be more like- I'm not really tightly bound to my worldview. I have to re-examine it on a daily basis as somebody with organic brain disease. So I don't get that kind of privilege being able to say, well, I see this. It's, I need to go kind of interrogate what I myself see and you know is it real or is it just like a weird crazy hallucination or a you know crazy kibo dream that i had last night or something like that so what is the major issue that you have with the resurrection of jesus uh well so first of all it says he's dead three days right well dead for three days yes not dead in three days dead for three days so i don't it's I don't really have any particular problems with the resurrection or even with Christianity. It's just how it's used, I should say, and how it's presented and the way that it's used to justify and rationalize other things. So dismissing all those bad actors that we've obviously discussed, just between you and me, I'll push those bad actors out the door. Let's shut and lock that door for just a little bit here. Jesus claims to be God in human form. He is crucified publicly humiliated publicly it's like watching a brett kavanaugh case of the supreme court it's like watching donald trump whatever he's doing right like watching a politician put on c-span it's a public occurrence he is he dies there's no possible way he's alive they check his body um they medically can prove that he is dead um he is buried in a tomb called uh, joseph of arimathea a very one it's like taking donald trump's body and burying it in, in Bernie Sanders graveyard. Let's just use that for, for just for argument's sake, right? 
and it's very well known every or or better yet buried it in george washington's tomb right everyone knows where george washington's tomb is it's not a mystery the media is all over it they know exactly where this is that's what joseph of marathium was like he was there they sealed it shut with a giant stone you've heard the story they placed roman guards in front of it three days later the stone was removed the body is gone and then after a period of 40 days over to over 500 witnesses, people claim, and these aren't sympathetic people, by the way. They're not people who absolutely love Jesus and want him to be back because they miss him. They're people who were different about him, who didn't like him, and people who were infatuated with him, all claiming he had come back. Again, though, that's like you're you're listing you 40 people. I'm listing it based off eyewitness testimony from people from authors who had no sympathy. The only sympathy that someone had was. Uh, Matthew and John, the rest of them, Mark and Luke, didn't have any sympathy towards it. In fact, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate wrote about his resurrection too. And Pontius, when you read about it, he didn't give two flying darns about this guy. The Romans wrote about him. The Jews, even the Pharisees wrote about how he, his body was missing. They had, And they were the ones who had him crucified. I mean, you tell me about people who had no sympathy for this man whatsoever, wrote about the body's disappearance. And then the biggest manhunt in history ever to ever walk this earth, apart from like modern history where we have like Bin Laden or something, happened and they couldn't find this body and they upturned everything. And I mean everything. The political issue of this guy was enormous. So the question is then, what do you do with that the, for the resurrection? He dies publicly. He's buried in a very well-known tomb. And then his body is gone, and they're claiming that he's resurrected. And then people, again, who liked him, who hated him, and really didn't give two darns about him, all saw him risen from the dead. Eyewitness testimony. That would be my issue. So if well, I, that's that, the whole thing, is eyewitness testimony, Patrick, about historical documents. That's why I was asking about George Washington's inauguration, Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, you name it. You go down through the history books. And we are, and here's the thing, this is why I take history seriously. Maybe you are too. I don't know how hard you do it, but you have to pay a lot of money, really good deal of money to go to university to study history, which tells me and probably tells you it's a very noteworthy branch of education. So, and, and on top of that, in our justice system, a murder takes place, right? There are no eyewitnesses wait, to it. I thought, wait. We're working at kind of like many, many different angles here. What are we, what's okay. kind of, what are we going towards here? I'll simplify this. What I'm saying is eyewitness testimony has the ability to confirm history and send someone to prison, even to the death sentence. We have eyewitness testimony, which is extremely powerful to have, that not everything is premised on this idea. I would say almost scientism is what I'm almost hearing here, which is everything practically can be answered through science. That No, that's not the case. So when we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus, we're not talking from a scientific proof of, oh, if you showed in front of me, if we could do the experiments, you and I both know intellectually that is not possible. So we need to be intellectually consistent on how we discover historical truth and accuracy. So it would, so your scientific method has no basis in historical documentation or historical notoriety. It is simply, what do the eyewitnesses say? What is the trustworthiness of the eyewitness testimony? And then on top of that, that makes it more accurate. Well, Simple as that. Is there so inconsistency again, with the eyewitnesses? Do they lie? Do they have, what do they do? You know, what, what is it? So that's why I'm asking about the resurrection and you approached it from a very scientific perspective. I'm like, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong, wrong building yeah. here, my man. 
<laughs> yeah, they probably are. But you asked me like, what would it take for me to convert? It's it, I'd have to have a very high level of either proof or some kind oh. of like personal epiphany. Right. So no, and here's the thing, Patrick. I'm not in the business of making anyone convert. I'm, I I will admit, back in my younger days, years ago, I wasn't even very in the business of trying to convert people. But I have learned that it. I don't convert anybody. I engage in conversation, and they look at the evidence. Um, now you're talking um, when you said about the um, your the burden of proof, right? Yeah. So you have a worldview. Can you restate it for me, what your worldview is, and then give me the, re the evidence, the overwhelming evidence that you, that holds your position on your worldview, that is superseding the evidence of Jesus Christ? So I'm not trying to be able to get to my entire worldview, but I think that we exist. I think there is some sort of objective reality. I doubt that human minds can begin to perceive that objective reality. If there is a God, I'm Again, I'm not really sold on it, but you know, I'm not completely dismissive of the idea. I would say that it is incomparably um, arrogant to assume that you can speak for you know God or on their behalf or completely know them in a way that because it's just such an alien concept that we you know an omnipotent, omnipresent human being, you know. And so far, nobody has successfully refuted this problem of evil. Ah, okay. yes, I remember you bringing that one up. So let's go ahead and talk about this then really briefly. We'll go through it. Evil. What is good and what is evil? We all know they exist. What are they? Bone cancers and children, my friend. Why is that evil? So, so if you're assuming that God exists and God could prevent that from happening, right? Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't he do that? Well, that's ultimately I don't know why. But I'm looking at this going, why? But here's the thing. As an agnostic atheist yourself, you need to explain why is that evil? Why is that wrong? So Because right now you're stealing from a worldview of Christianity. The Christian worldview says there is good and evil, and God does good, Satan does evil, and there is free will that entails onto that. But as an atheist, as Frederick Nietzsche points out and um, Bun Russell points out, there is no good or evil. It's just there. Have you watched The Good Place at all? I have not actually. Watch it. Uh, it does. It talks about these moral issues, um, and they point out that basically, you know, if you it's so their 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 version of good and bad is basically that you have like multiple different things. One is that the motivation for doing good uh, was it actually a good act, and then the third one is kind of did you expect some sort of you know, reward for something? You have, they have a very interesting kind of thing. But again. You're using the words good and evil. If, if everything according to the atheist worldview, and I've listened to Christopher Hardich and Richard Dawkins, I've read into their books, all we are comprised of is matter and energy. That's according to David Silverman. That's according to their late Christopher Hitchens. All these other great atheists. Matter and energy. Matter and energy is not good nor evil. It just exists. This mouse is neither good nor evil. It's matter, and a battery inside provides an energy. Yeah, there's no good or evil. So in my world, you, there is good and evil. Yeah, the there is good. Mm -hmm. but I would say M. Shane Bell, Bell, who's a writer, had the best description: "Is that evil is intelligence to the service of entropy." Entropy and entropy. You know, that's things going to they, in, in the scientific world. That's things going to their ultimate lowest uh, energy state. 
in our kind of universe or our perspective, that'd be kind of like chaos, madness, death, that sort of stuff. But I'm not seeing how that's evil. What? I don't see how any of that is evil. Because it's causing destruction. Intelligence is the service of destruction. Again, but how is destruction evil? Destruction is just a natural process. It's like putting Mentos into Diet Coke. It's just a nat it's a natural chemical reaction. It's a natural process. I don't see how it's good or evil. Well, so if you're right, if it's just if that's just the scale we're talking about, then that's neither good nor evil. And you're right. If we're talking about like a natural wildland that needs fires every so often to clean it out and keep that forest healthy, fire isn't necessarily evil, but you know, to the to the deer who get burned that fire, it's not a good thing. Yeah, you know, just for basic perspective, I will admit that. But Patrick, again, I think what I don't think what's being understood here, what I'm trying to point out here, what you're understanding is you're using the words good and evil, good and evil, good and evil. There is none. It's matter and energy, according to an atheistic worldview, according to these very prominent atheists. That so you have for my worldview, right? This is <laughs> this is that good and evil well, exist to some extent. Well, we know good and evil exist, but the, the problem with atheism is it is not intellectually consistent, according to what I've seen and experienced. It's not intellectually consistent because in atheism, matter and energy is all that dominate this entire universe. Matter and energy have and scientific experiments. Those things are not good nor evil. They just are. They show you about the order and design in our universe. They show you how things work and operate. But they do not, like, like say, I can use science to make a nuclear bomb. It is no longer scientific to determine whether that's good or evil. That is just, it's a bomb. It can explode. It releases large amounts of energy. E equals MG squared is used. And that's it. It doesn't have any basis in the areas of a moral ethical system. The moral ethical system transcends science and atheism. Atheism, from what I have experienced and seen, is they have to steal from the Christian worldview, implant it into their worldview, and go, that's evil. But that's, that's intellectual dishonesty and intellectually inconsistent. If, I well, like what Frederick Nietzsche points out. He's a German philosophical atheist. He's, he called out the atheist. Oh, sorry. sorry. You, know, you know who he is. So you know that he basically called out the atheist and said, stop stealing from the Christian worldview. There is no good or evil. It just is. You might have an opinion, but ultimately it just is. So that's why I'm looking and going, how do you derive a fire? A fire could burn something. And we could say, that's good because it helps the forest, as you said. But it could burn you. Oh, that's bad because it hurts you. But those are just arbitrary things. There is no actual real good or evil. So hang on, let me pull out for you. Yeah. Epicurus, let me see. So Epicurus was a Greek philosopher uh, in 341 to 270 BC. So this is way before Christianity. He was the one who first brought up the paradox of good and evil. And I think that his uh, statement was, let me try and find it. His um, statement was, is God willing to prevent evil but unable? but not able, that he's not omnipotent. Is he able, but not willing, then he's malevolent. Is he both able and willing, then whence cometh evil? Is he neither able nor willing, then why call him God? Again, this is a guy who was 300 years before Christ, almost. And mm -hmm. they're already using concepts like good and evil. So those concepts actually predate Christianity. I think those are probably built into our design. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what God puts out there. And that's what we have in our hearts. Even with the Romans, we have the law written on our hearts. But ultimately, I can't decide, I can't just tell you why bad things happen that way. 
I know that in the Bible, what it teaches is that God uses the bad ultimately for good things and whatnot. But the problem I see here. Tragedy, a terrible amount of tragedy. If you say that to somebody at your mom's funeral, right? She's, Mm -hmm. you know, she's still alive and healthy, but let's say 10, 20 years down the line or something. If somebody got up in the middle of her funeral and said, well, you know, she was a good woman, a kind woman, but her death is God's will. You know, you wouldn't be able to argue with that. We also wouldn't say, oh, yeah, he's right. How could you take, he cut off as kind of like creepy and weird and unsettling, right? Settling, right? Right. No, and I understand that. I understand where you're coming from, and I agree with you. But I, so but yeah, here's vicious, tragedy is there to teach us something. Like that's a vicious, cruel thing. You know, you could have learned that lesson without cancer being shot or all these kinds of terrible things that happen to people right you know and you you bring up something that's been hard for me to be honest i've had to go through that too i've had to lose friends at disney and i've had to be at their funerals and i've had the same thing situation happen and you and i agree and it's 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 or i found out um one of uh disney friends i got divorced and whatnot was cheating on the other person and he really hurt the other person and the kids involved and and i heard about that and, and it really broke my heart and you're asking that question why did god allow this to happen but see, in a Christian worldview, I can understand that being an issue, and they, that would be a consistency in logic to at logic to ask that question. But if we're looking at it from non-emotional perspective and, and good and evil to a logical perspective, atheism doesn't have that. Atheism has it's your mother died, and that was just how it is. There is not it's not good, no bad. It just is. And again, it goes, I hope you understand where I'm coming from, that yeah. it, so it's. That the action doesn't have a morality incident in it. And you're correct. But at the same time, I would be sad. I would be upset. And the correct action. Of course you would. Of course you would. Yeah. No, I, I don't disagree with you. In the correct action, that was not to say that, you know, that there is, there's, a, the universe is madness and all is disorder and, you know, given what's the line of bed and all about in your posts now, men of Gondor. Right. That's, you know, that sort of nihilism despair doesn't help. You know, you have to kind of inject some sort of meaning and some sort of, you know, morality into your daily life. And whether that's God or, you know, the Bible or Christianity, whatever works for you. Well, I think, I think it's when we're talking about good and evil, I think, um, Good and evil ultimately do exist. The problem I have with the atheism, again, goes down to it doesn't exist with atheism. It's not consistent. I guess as an atheist agnostic yourself, how do you grapple with good and evil? Well, I think, I'm not sure how. I think that human beings doing bad things to each other is definitely evil. Um, If you want to say that God exists and is omnipotent and omnipresent and good as we can conceive him, as good as we can conceive that, then, you know, letting children die of bone cancer, building us with enormous genetic flaws, these are all, to me, evidence of either careless, negligent, or abusive creator. So that's kind of why I'm a little bit shying away towards that view, is the overall thing, because it just leaves too many issues with uh, God being a nefarious being. Well, do you know what God did to try to solve that problem, to solve it once and for all? um no go ahead and tell me this is where the christian message comes in the gospel because you're right a lot of bad things happen in this world god sent his only begotten son to take the punishment of all the world upon himself to die and resurrect again where he promises that there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth where there's going to be no more pain no more suffering you probably i don't know if you heard this from my dad apparently he told you i don't know um that's the answer to it 
there is actually a way out. Now, I know it might seem like, oh my gosh, in the moment, I honestly have been through that. But that's the message here, is we live in a world that has fallen because mankind chooses to do evil. Mankind always chooses to do evil. We have greed, anger, lust, corruption, bureaucracies that just hurt people, and fathers that leave their children, mothers who abuse their kids, the whole nine yards. In fact, I'd say that the reason we have so much evil in this world has little to do with God, has everything to do with a thing called free will, that we openly okay. choose it. So, but here's the question, that one, who chooses to have sarcoma? I don't think that anyone chooses particular bad situations happening. And I agree with you, like, I can take it a step further. People who are hit by earthquakes or hit with tsunamis, tornadoes, natural bloods, stuff like that. I, I hear you on that one. That I don't have an answer apart from what the book of Genesis was teaching about how the fall of mankind takes place and what when we sin, when we turn against God and tell God, because sin is really telling God, get out of Dodge. I don't want you here at all. Get out of my way. I want to do things my way. And a lot of atheists I've run into are exactly that. It's not that they don't they believe don't believe in God because of the evidence. They don't believe in God because they don't want God to exist. They want to do their own thing. But then you have to deal with the consequences of that. And that can lead ultimately to destruction, not only of yourself and your loved ones, but of things that you never thought possible. It's kind of like the butterfly effect, right? If you ever watched that movie, you step on a butterfly, things that you never imagined would happen. So that in essence, that would be a type of way of looking at it, is your actions, however minute may be seen, have prolonged effects, not only just the world, but the world that we don't actually see. And that has consequences on our planet and on our how we all react. So when God, I, I said, I told my wife before that God played a very dangerous game, giving mankind free will and angels free will is because now we can choose to do what we want to do. And God's going to honor our choices, honor our decisions. So whether we decide to be Adolf Hitler the second, or we decide to be the nicest, your nice neighbor down the street who <laughs> likes to take in animals that are hurt and, and heal them and, and help people out, you know, we can choose either way. But God, but here's a great, here's the thing I look at because I know a lot of people are like, oh, we have to deal with all that. God says there is a judgment day coming where everyone's going to be judged, you, me, everyone, on what they have done and will receive due penalty for what they have done. Oh, you're on the computer. I am because I'm looking up something to sort of kind of get into that one, which is Go how do you get the, I said this coming down the line, which is how do you live your life knowing that this might be the end of everything that you know when you close your eyes that last good night kind of thing right so um i wasn't necessarily going with that particular response uh, answer i was more going into line of saying that you have two worldviews the atheistic worldview just says there's bad things that happen to good people and there's no redemption the the rich rip off the poor the powerful rip off the weak bad things happen deal with it who cares it's a very disparaging point of view the Christian worldview states there is good and evil in this world, and ultimately there is going to be a judgment, and there is a savior that has come to liberate you from that judgment that is to come, and ultimately God's going to hold everyone accountable, which gives actually gives hope versus disparity. So we're talking in a philosophical worldview. That's what I would say is atheism is very disparaging versus Christianity is very hopeful. You kind of want to be careful with that because I know uh, I was part of a part of one of my clinical trials. This included a psychological assessment thing mm -hmm. they give to 
every cancer patient one is like, how do you feel strongly about this, 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 something? This question is like, do you feel that God is punishing you? And because I don't like believe that, like, no, you know, what would God want with some scrawny biped? You know, it's kind of an easier leap to say that there's no God and bad things happen to me. And I have to be good, better to my neighbors, perhaps the universe has been to me. That's the takeaway here. Well, why would you want to be good, better to the neighbors than to than how this universe? Because you're saying the universe, but the universe is just matter and energy, Patrick. It has no will of its own. Whatever you want to call it. Better perhaps to my neighbors and friends and family than the circumstances surrounding my life have been to me. Why would you want to do that? Because I don't want them to go through what I went through. Why? Would anybody want to go through three neurosurgeries, uh, 41 rounds of chemo? <laughs> Yeah, and you yeah. put it in that perspective, no, but ultimately, what is the cause of being good? Like, what, what does it matter? I guess I'm putting on the, the atheist hat of saying, why does it all matter? Why, why do something good for somebody else? What is the main point? What's the drive? Because I feel better about myself and my worldview when I do good. It's the old, you know, Abraham Lincoln line. When I do good, I feel good. When I do bad, I feel bad. That is my religion, you know? Okay, so here's the question. Going to the Bible really fast, I'm going to go into the questions here on this one. We're looking at the truth. Um, Jesus claims that he's the truth, the way, and the life. No one will come to the Father except by him. Now, Jesus claims to be God in human form. We're going to jump into the Jesus thing. Jesus said that he would die and rise from the dead, and he actually did it historically. If with that historical narrative in mind that has actually been talked about, even Burton, I think it was Burton von Brussel, I think, probably butchering his name, noted agnostic. He didn't, he's not a believer in Jesus. He even said that it took place. The resurrection takes place. Jesus is who he claims to be. What do you do with that? Uh, that one, I'm not really sure because I'd have to. So if you have a man who claims to be God, who like uh, C.S. Lewis would point out, you know, he's either crazy, he's either lying, or he's telling the truth. He claims to be God in human form, revealing himself to the entire world. Are you referring to the liar, lunatic, Lord? Hmm? Are you referring to the liar, lunatic, or Lord issue? Yes. Wouldn't that be logical? What about Waco? That was a lunatic. I agree. That was a cult following. No, no, I no, I agree with you. But the guy over in Waco never claimed to be God nor resurrect. And I agree with you on that. Jesus Christ claims to be God and that he was going to be killed and rise three days from the dead. And then he historically does it. So he's not a Waco. He's not a cult leader. Well, the other thing here is uh, if you look at the way that human beings tend to approach issues, we've actually gotten more sophisticated as a species within the last recorded history, actually. You know, we went from, I know you're looking at me like this, but how the way that we're educated, the way that we look at problems informs how we approach those, how we investigate those. And the cold case guy, I think, is a fascinating idea. Um, I'd kind of be interested in that one to some extent. But, you know, even though the Romans undoubtedly investigated, would their investigative methods meet my modern, you know, minimal uh standards i'm not Lee sure. Strobel actually did exactly if you read cult if you read case for christ Lee Strobel did exactly that he went to mit and to oxford medical studies and presented the whole thing and the professor even pointed out 
that the whole system idea of the him dying on the cross and being medically dead points to the validity of the situation. It pointed that he wasn't knocked out, he wasn't passed out, he wasn't anything, he was actually dead, dead. And then he rose from the dead. And it was very clearly illustrated by, as we just, as I told you earlier, by people who liked him, who hated him, who were indifferent, all claiming the exact same thing. So if I'm looking for something, if I go for only biased reviews of people who like him, I would be a fool. But if I'm going for reviews for people who like, like looking on Amazon to buy something, look for something people like are hardcore Apple people, people who hate Apple and people who really don't care too much, but they, they like the product or they don't like it. it. It really doesn't matter to them. So when we see Jesus making these claims, he's not a Waco guy. He's not, he's saying, I am God in human form. I am the truth, the way, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I am Yahweh. That's what he claims. Then he says, I'm going to die. And three days later, in fact, Peter tells him, you know, when he says, I, and he re doesn't just say it once. He says it multiple times throughout the time. And that's where you have like, Peter, you probably heard this in the Bible where Peter says, no, no, Lord, that's not going to happen. And he goes, get behind me, Satan, you know, whatnot. But Peter hears him. He says, the son of man must be raised. The son of man must be taken to, must be taken to his enemies. The son of man will be crucified. He re called himself the son of man which is found in the book of Daniel, who is God. That is what the book of Daniel shows. Jesus is repeatedly making these claims that he is God. He's going to die and rise from the dead. Well, if someone keeps on repeating these claims over and over, and then he is publicly executed, I'm going to be very closely paying attention to, is that tomb empty? Where is the body? Did he rise from the dead? And all the evidence points historically to a resurrection, which points to him not being a cult leader, but being reliable and actually who he is. So with that in mind, the question is then, what do you do with that? So, I, so let's assume that's true. Mm -hmm. So the next question is, if you if you want to become a Christian as opposed to like just living a good moral life, you know that does involve killing other people, which is how I try to live my life. You know, then the question is, okay, let's convert to Christianity. Whose version of Christianity should I put all of my eggs in one basket for? And that's where I have a lot of trouble. I don't think you should put your baskets into any type of Christianity. I okay. really don't. I know that's a crazy idea here, but I think you'd be completely foolish to put any kind of eggs in the basket of Christianity. I think what you should do is put the eggs, all your eggs in the basket of Jesus Christ. Because Christians have been known to do, as we were talking about, about bad actors have done really horrendous things. You would be a fool, and I'd call, I'd call you a medical moron if you were to put your eggs in the basket of Christianity. If you put the eggs in the, like this, I um, remember Cliff Connectly, a pastor in New Canaan, Connecticut, one time asked this uh, black lady and said, hey, in the spite that your ancestors were enslaved by white Christians, right? How come you're yeah. Christian? And she responds and goes, well, because I actually read the Bible and nothing about slavery was supported whatsoever in the Bible. So I put my faith in Jesus Christ and not let a bunch of bad actors slave um slave racist people towards black people influenced by view of jesus christ so that's why looking go outside of these bad actors and i think i think patrick we are both intellectually past the point of saying talking about the bad actors and using yeah. that as a reason to separate yourself from jesus i think that's really that's i think intellectually for the two of us that is something that we need to throw out the window officially and say don't use that anymore that's not an excuse it's now going, okay, well, who is the historical Jesus Christ? He made these historic, he made these truth claims. And then historically, he did these accounts of dying and resurrecting. Now, what outside of all those other people, what do you do personally with that? 
I don't know. I mean, again, so if that burden of proof was met for me, I'm not sure. I might probably go to church, you know, multiple churches more often. I do occasionally go to church once in a blue moon. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not out there trying to, like, be a bad person. No, I'm not, you know, making golden idols. You know, I'm not necessarily praising God every day, but I'm also not out there blaspheming or doing anything terribly dreadful. No, so. no, and I agree with you. You're actually, I've known you since I was little. You know, you've yeah. actually been a very nice guy. I'm nothing against you. What I'm looking at is, you said if the evidence supported it, what evidence apart from one that you know that you and I both know can happen? I cannot bring him back scientifically and prove it. We both know that is impossible, and that's not a standard in which you can you should hold it all to this situation. What burden of proof or sorry, burden of evidence would you need to be fulfilled? Because you're, it's like you say, you're saying I have a standard up here, and this is how much evidence I have. So I'm like, okay, what standard do you need to get up to here? So again, if we if I had like a, a deeply religious experience, I don't know what that would look like, but that would be probably enough to like maybe perhaps do, I don't know exactly what my life would look like differently because I, I try to live my life by Marcus Aurelius's maxim. And he wrote, live a good life. If there are gods and they're just, they will not care how devout you've been, but they'll welcome you based on the virtues you live by. If there are gods and unjust, then you should not want to worship them. If there are no gods, then you'll be gone, but you'll have lived a noble life that will live on the memories of your loved ones. So, to me, that's right. the, the thing. It's like, be a good person. Be the best person you can be every day for as long as you can be. You know, and if it means going to church, go to church. If it means staying home on Sundays, do that, you know. All right. Since so you said basically on your good merits, I want you to open up the um, book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 20, and read that for me, please. Chapter 20? Yes, sir. No, no, sorry. Chapter 3, verse 20. My bad. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So, if what you were saying... Uh, I live a good life and the God see, see me, okay, it's whatnot, I'll make it. Jesus, since he claims to be God, he resurrects, showing that he is who he is. Jesus claims that you cannot enter the kingdom of God. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he says on later on, that um, he goes, for God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to, but to save the world through him. This is the final verdict. Mankind has been exposed to darkness, uh, exposed to light, but he will not come to light for the deeds be exposed. So if your virtue idea, if your idea of getting into an afterlife, if that is something on your mind, with Jesus Christ claiming to be God and the evidence pointing to the resurrection being truth, you're screwed because no flesh will be justified. You are not righteous. You're not good enough to get in there because perfection is there and you messed up. So again, watch the good place because they talk about this. How nobody. But that's a problem. But that's a problem, enough. Patrick. If Jesus Christ, when He claims to be God in human form, and the resurrection shows this, regardless of what philosophical thing you want to throw in front of it, ultimately it boils down to you are not a good person. I'm not a good person. We're not getting in based on our merits, no matter how you want to be like. Well, I did this good. You broke. Like if um. How did like Ray Comfort? Have you ever heard of him? 
Yes, the crocodile guy. That's the crocodile. Your saving grace, my friend. He is he is the laughing stock of many many groups. Oh, I know, that. I know. But he makes a, but he does bring up a good point. If we're talking about going going into like, um, would you want to go to heaven? Would you want to actually be there if it exists? I'll just rehash you the infamous Will Rogers quote, which is that if there's no dogs in heaven, then I die. I want to go where they went. So no. Well, I, I, it depends on who's there. What heaven? Do I get like a taste for God? Well, God is there. Would you want to be in the presence of God for all eternity? So I don't. I honestly don't know. I, from what I've seen, God is not a terribly sympathetic, a likable character based on the way he's kind of set up this really faulty universe. Um, would I want to have a conversation with him about why he did this without the other thing? Yeah, probably. Well, do you uh, think it was God who did well all the destruction, or do you think that it was human beings that did all the destruction and God created the perfect universe, just like he said in Genesis 1, when he said everything was made good? And who, like, if you read in Genesis, who really screwed the pooch at the end of the day? Was it God who screwed us over, or was it us making our own personal decisions in our own lives and telling God to get out of Dodge? Was that the thing that screwed the pooch at the end of the day? Well, you're assuming that the book of Genesis is literally true, and that's the origin of all human. I'm coming well, from different. From it's the, a very. I do believe that Genesis is literal, um, based on multiple things that we can talk about maybe later on. But what I'm looking at is it's more. I've when I've heard about. Well, go ahead and explain to me. Well, I should say go ahead and explain it because that sounds way too aggressive. Um, you said that Genesis isn't. In essence, accurate, correct? I certainly, yeah, I don't believe in it. So, Not how would you explain things coming about with badness and all this other stuff happening? So, for as far as like sarcoma and children, it's because that the way that our genes are designed again, it's the, a problem where we incorporated the flaws, we incorporated the gene code from more primitive versions of creatures that we evolved from single celled life specifically. So that to me, that's well, just one specific answer. How do, and I guess that's where I go into the whole thing of like, how do you know we evolved from single-celled organism to the complex biochemical bag we are now? That's because that's the simplest and most accurate explanation of why we have such a, a crummy, really, genetic code and cellular metabolism, all these various other issues. <clears throat> is logical, so is there any way that we know this or is it kind of more like a hypothetical we threw out there to try to make sense of something so there's uh i can't remember there's actually an interesting study that was they concluded a few years ago it was conducted accidentally where there some researchers back in the 60s or 70s are talking about you know sort of what sort of protomolecules do you need to have in place to develop dna because you can, you can get the dna to develop under certain lab conditions we can't get to go from DNA to cells. But that's another, you know, whole. Step. Actually, that's a really good point. You, how did life? I guess if we're talking about Genesis, how did life begin? So that's what I'm getting at. Basically, so for the predominant thing is that basically DNA is uh, a more for, stable form for carbon molecules than a lot of the other options out there. And just mm -hmm. by simple repetition of this thing over and over again through the course of millions and millions of years of evolution, repetition, we'll get you know, something slightly more stable, which is DNA. It's still a very, very flawed thing, but it's kind of like the best you can do in this situation, right? So 
how did that all come about? You said millions and millions and millions of years, but it's like, okay, you got DNA showing up. Where did the DNA come from? Where did the, where did the proteins show up from? Like, where did it all come yeah, from? Yeah, so there's actually a study conducted a few years ago where they access, it's an interesting thing in the 70s, some scientists were talking about what would it take to create these conditions that would lead to DNA, right? Because you can get to do this in the lab. And they're kind of they're kind of scratching their heads and thinking, well, what would it take? And somebody kind of access. So they took this weird mixture and they're going to put in the standard usual, the assumption that how life evolved in this planet was the classic uh, Fantasia thing, right? The boiling pits of tar that you know developed DNA and then cells. These sounds, guys. Uh, go ahead, sorry. Yeah, but no, these guys, instead of like that standard, that usual primeval super hot soup that we like to think of, they froze it. And how do they know they froze it? They they accidentally left it in the freezer for 20 years. They those weird things that I did. Somebody, yeah, exactly. Those discoveries by snacks and but well, my whole, the whole point is, Patrick, it, so, it sounds like all these things are putting into design, but the question is, how did it all come about? How did all this thing, the soup, the planet, everything come into existence? Oh, so I, that one, I don't know. So you give, you, if you take uh, Stephen Hawking's view that we started from the Big Bang, there's some researchers recently pointed out some interesting new interpretations of that, which is that it wouldn't be like a Big Bang. We're just like a next iteration of previously existing universe that collapsed. I know, I know and, how, and how do we know any of that? I, that's so I could look at if we want to look at that up. I could do that. I could show is you this, exactly how. Would this is this more like it sounds more like scientific theory and hype, um, hypothesis versus an actual thing? See, that's what I'm looking at. Is like with the Big Bang. What I looked at was. When I researched the Big Bang, it was the biggest issue for atheists ever. Like atheism was, in my opinion, destroyed by the Big Bang. As an atheist, let me tell you, the biggest issue for me are my bills. Huh? Oh, your bills? The biggest issue for me are my bills. I don't know about you. That's <laughs> the biggest. And that's kind of this whole thing that I think that Christians tend right. to overlook in this is that it's all very good and well to talk about spirituality, but at the end of the day, you got to eat, you got to sleep, you got to have a roof over your head, you got to, you know, get a job, that kind of thing. Right. No, no, I wasn't, I wasn't saying anything against that. I was saying that in atheism yeah. itself, the philosophy is that the philosophy, the philosophy of atheism that we came about by pretty much nothing, because I remember hearing Richard Dawkins talking to John Lennox about this, and he was, or it was a priest he was talking to, and I, I kind of agree with this priest when he was trying to discuss we came from nothing. There's nothing that's so complex, but it's nothing. And he starts chuckling, and Richard goes, well, what's so funny? He goes, I think it is kind of funny. You're trying to define nothing. We all know what nothing is. And when we're talking about the Big Bang and, like, Albert Einstein, who uh, discovered, really, the, 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 um, the theory of the Big Bang, down to Arnold Penzias, who discovered the radiation afterglow of it, and how Albert Einstein was absolutely terrified of the Big Bang. You can read about it. And how we put in the fudge factor, and UCLA students actually discovered that. And the whole notion was is because the Big Bang pointed to there was a cause. If there was a cause, then who or what caused the cause? Causes don't just happen out of nothing. So, so who or what started so the Big Bang? That we're not is the Big Bang was just in on the universe is kind of more or less always existed, just in different forms. But that but okay, so where is that scientifically though? So the idea, again, I haven't done, I'm not a physicist and this doesn't really interest me enough to go in and do the research. I'm just kind of passively, oh, it's kind of a cool thing. But the, uh, I believe that at the moment, the current thinking is that the Big Bang started from a super densely packed uh, group of various atoms um, that then exploded. And what caused that was the 
there's actually a universe prior to ours, if you will, that expanded and expanded and expanded until eventually entropy contracted into a very tightly packed ball of sorts. And then, you know, a, Right, but this that sounds almost like scientific theory hyperbole, because what you come across is Einstein pointed out, and it was very well documented, and I agree with his logic when he said space, time, and matter cannot exist and cannot exist one without the other. So you need to have space, time, and matter, and it all came into existence all at the same time. Well, if that's the case, who or the thing that caused it had to be outside of space, time, and matter. That's what he came to the conclusion of. That's what, uh, what was it, John Lennox even brought to the conclusion of, and he, I find his logic rather sound is when they point out, Dr. Frank Turkian brought this up, if, if the universe came into existence and, it, and everything that we know, space, time, matter, had to come into existence at the same time, then had to leave outside of it. The only explanation we have of that, which would make any rational sense, is that it was God. Because God describes himself as all-powerful, omnipotent, outside of space and time. He has a physical body. He exists outside of space and time. So it would make logical sense that God creates it that's why in the book of genesis when it talks about god created the heavens and the earth in the beginning right we had space time and matter all coming in place in the book of genesis it actually makes rational sense because when i hear about like the multiverse i hear about um how the universe there's prior universes but these are not even close to being proven nor they're just theories that even other scientists have like physicists that i've listened to over at ucla to oxford to harvard they all go this is a bunch of bs and so I listened to him and said, okay, why is this theory there? And a lot of it is, we don't want God to exist. That was ultimately what it kind of broke down to when I listened to these. I think it was like a four-hour lecture like, or more than that over this very issue. There were, there were atheist professors who were saying, we don't want God to exist in it. That's why we say that it had some other universe, something else. We had to cook something up in this cauldron stew that we call science and make it up. And I was like, so... As a scientist, would it make rational sense to dismiss Genesis? Is it really science that you're, the reason why you're dismissing Genesis? Or is it because you have too much pride and you think to yourself, God can't exist? Well, then if, that doesn't make you a scientist. That makes you very partisan to one way versus being a true scientist that examines all the evidence and regardless of where it leads, follows it, as Sherlock Holmes would point out, and you believe in whatever it aims for. Yeah. So, but to your answer question, it's like, what, what came before us? I don't know. Science doesn't know either. The usual, the best kind of answer I can give you based on my time as in science and as a cancer survivor is there's usually a key piece of evidence out there that we don't know about. And you have to keep looking either scientifically or biblically, where you want to look. You need to keep it, get looking for that next bit of information to explain or to help bring things, these things together. I switch yeah. this up a little bit and say, don't research it from either biblical perspective or scientific, but look at it from, from both perspectives. Look from it from an objective perspective. Don't leave anything out. Say, okay, what is most logical? So if the universe, if they're like, we don't know where it came from, I can understand science can't explain where the universe came from because science isn't study about process. Excuse me, again, like the Mythbusters would show. Since right. now we've left science, we are not in the scientific area of saying, you know, yes, this is true, this is not true scientifically. It's not a philosophical question. So that boils down to what do you think? Do you th is it more rational to think that, I, I'd say that from your worldview as, a, as an atheist, from your philosophical worldview, what you're trying to explain, it takes more faith to be an atheist on these particular areas than it takes to be a Christian on these areas. Because the Bible at least say, it tells us that here's how the orderly accounts of what takes place and it makes rational sense when you start putting in 
um, Einstein's theory of relativity. It actually connects perfectly well with it. As I said, I have a lot of faith in various things, including perhaps the faith that we don't know everything and there's still things out there that'll explain other things that we're grappling with. Right. Now, I don't want to extend too much longer because I know you probably have other things to do and I'm not going to push this interview too far and we can always do another one. We'll talk later about that. But here's what I wanted to kind of conclude onto this a little kind of thought conclusion is, Patrick, do you know how to reach God? How to contact him? How any kind of interaction? Uh, so apparently, so there's... The popular conception is prayer. I can quote you, uh, St. Augustine, I believe, said that when right. you pray, you're speaking to God. When you read, God is speaking to you. Okay. So I'm feeling with the concept, yes. I was more going on basis of relationship. How do you get to know somebody based on a relationship? So do I like them enough to you know, interact with them more? You know, or is this like, a romantic relationship is this that I'm pursuing is this a collegial relationship? What's that? I would say this. How am I, Patrick? How are you and I going to get to know each other? We talk, yeah. So, but that's what you're getting. I let right. you open up to me, and I get to know who the Patrick McBride is and how wonderful of a man you are. I've got to know you. You get to open up to me, and I get to, I get to open up to you, and you get to know who Nick Coons is, and hopefully, I'm a good guy to you. All right. Um. But the only way we're going to interact with God and what's what Jesus teaches is through relationship. I guess the question is, are you open to any way that God wants to reach out to you? I, so yes, there's, so there's Gnostic atheism, agnostic atheism. Gnostic atheists are like Hitchens and Dawkins. They know there's no God. There's agnostic atheists like me who are like really very uncertain, just slightly, slightly more in the no good real reason to, or no real evidence of god that we've noticed but you know really? would, i'm not closing the door i could you know if god sends down yes you know, says believe in me you know i'll do that but wait re rewind what you said not to believe me but before that no so, real good reason right i know real evidence i should say is me, it because there is is there really no real good evidence or is it that you don't want to see the evidence if there because is those, evidence, i have not noticed it so you're right, because it could have been there's like plenty of evidence I'm just ignoring. But at the same time, you know that whole the dress thing that came about last year on the internet? Is this dress blue or gold? No, I understand. Yeah, I, I've seen that one. Yeah, that was like a mind trip for me. But the and, thing what I'm looking yeah, at is yeah. what I'm seeing here is this. When we had our conversations and I asked you before, if, if Christianity were true, would you be a Christian? The reason I asked you that is because what, what I do is I find out, is the person a truth seeker or have they already made up their mind? So what I look at is when you say there's no real good evidence, when we talked about this, you've read some of the Bible, only some of it. I'm looking going, I don't think you've, and I'm not attacking you, but an observation is, I don't know if you're, are you really interested in actually reading the Bible, going through and bring, I want you to bring your skepticism with you. I really do. I'm not one of those weird Christians that say don't have skepticism. I think you're an idiot if you don't. Would you be willing to read it, bring in the skepticism and really analyze the evidence or is your mind already made up? Uh, well, so then you're asking, now you're asking me, do I have the time to do that? And that one, I don't, 
sadly enough, I don't really have time. I've got a bunch of other projects, things up. Would you? No, I understand that. I understand we have busy lives. Yeah, I have busy lives. As much as I, time, I would perhaps possibly. And the reason I'm kind of being coy about it is because I've said yes, I would to other people. And it's like, yes, well, that's the sign to like jump and start the conversion therapy and all that kind of stuff. No, you're not really. Oh, no, 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 no. No conversion therapy here. There's nothing about like, yeah, not like, you know, not like conversion therapy. You know what I mean? You're going to start, st start hammering it. And so I was like, we convert, we convert. Like, no. Um, so yeah, no, is, that's not here. <laughs> well, am I open to the idea of God? Yes. Yeah, I am. Um, am I going to go out and look for God? Not if I have other things that need to get finished. Well, you're first. not going to go look for him. That's the thing. You don't go look for him. He finds you. That's a difference yeah. here. So I yeah, sent you. If there's, I if God you... find me, I'm, I'm here. I'll listen, you know. Yeah, totally. So I last little question here, and then we can try to kind of wrap it up. Um, I sent you a video a little while ago about a guy named David Wood. I saw the first 10 minutes of it, and I couldn't really watch the rest. The guy is like, I wouldn't. I would stray away from him as an example for anything because he's a sociopath, really. He's, yeah. you know, he's not a good example of a Christian or an atheist. He's a good example of somebody who stares at his father thinking about killing him. You know? <laughs> I just thought I'd ask you about that and see what you would think about that. That's why I was like, oh, what do you think? So I, I have never thought about killing anybody. And I should say, I've spent like one or two seconds here and then it like cut me off of an argument like I wish you were dead kind of thing. But I've never like thought, oh, I should kill him. That's That's a weird, weird thing. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree with you. I just thought it was interesting to throw it your way and see what you thought. So if I could send you stuff here and there and just take a look at it. And the whole policy I have with it and my apologetics is I'm not like this. I'm not going, Kev Patrick, will you convert right now to Jesus Christ and put your faith on? But I will ask that I can send you things and not to draw your conclusions about Christ until you have looked more thoroughly into things to draw a more, more reputable conclusion based on what you have. And, and to ask the questions according to what it is and not, and last but not least here, leave out any bad actors. Like if they say, well, Joel Wilson does this, this person does this. Honestly, I can care less what they say or what they're doing. What I'm looking at is saying, okay, does Patrick know the least logic, the, you know, Patrick know the real Jesus of the Bible? Does he really know who this person is? And then whatever conclusion you come to, whether it be conversion or not, cool with me, at least you can draw it premised off of an intellectually honest perspective based upon the source documents. Would that be? Yeah. Yes, but at the same time, Human beings were not really driven by logic and emotion or logic and reason as much as you think we are. We're driven by emotions and situations and our feelings and our relationships with people. Well, that's true. That's why I'm asking, I guess, if we touched briefly on politics just for a split second here, we're not going to jump on the political bandwagon yeah. of emotional, huh? Yeah, no, I'd say that's, that's probably a good idea. But yeah, we're not so, going to, well, I, I don't go for Republican, Democrat. I simply say, don't be emotionally manipulated into doing something. I would say that we would keep away from the emotional side of it and look into who is Jesus Christ? Who is the actual biblical Jesus outside of all of this theater issue of bad actors, politicians, or whomever you put in the way? Because that's what I'm saying here is you basically premise your belief on Christ off of these 
bad actors, politicians, whomever. And as soon as you remove that and look at the evidence, bringing your skepticism forward, asking those bluntly difficult questions, I think what's going to happen is you're probably going to see more logical conclusion and have a new set of eyes seeing, wow, I, you know, my previous thinking of this person is wrong. Not saying you convert, but it would be a, I think I might have been wrong on a few things or confirm a few things. Yeah, I'd be willing to start an ongoing discussion, as it were. Okay. If that's question. So why don't we do this? I'll create a little thing. You can create a bunch of questions and whatnot. And we kind of go back and forth. We can do another episode where we talk to each other about this. And if you're open to it. Yeah, and, sure. Okay. And we can go do that. Patrick, thank you so much for uh, your time. Oh, what's no up? No, I really you want to do that or get in touch with me later about that. Yeah, absolutely. After this, I'll go ahead and contact you and we can go further from there. So folks, I hope this was an engaging conversation. If you have any questions and Patrick, send this to your family, friends, whomever, they can ask questions for things out there and we can discuss further. So everyone, thank you for joining us on Next Generation Saints. Um, If you'd like to um, contact me on my YouTube channel, Next Generation Saints, listen to it on on, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you receive your podcasting. Again, Patrick, thank you so much for everything, for your time and whatnot. Until next time, may God richly bless you all, my dearly beloved. All right.